Welcome back to Three Sports Rankers Series 3. Yes, it's been a while, but we're back. No global pandemic will stop us ranking. Uh, Rob Schofield here in Manchester. And as always, I'm joined by Callum Scotland in his isolation booth in Leeds. Uh, Callum, I'm sure you've been wistfully thinking about the days that goal machine Joe Linton uh, used to grace the pitch at... uh, is it the Rhine Neckar Arena in Hoffenheim? The Rhine Neckar Arena. It's, well, technically it still is, but it's the pre-zero arena. I've taken back in a heartbeat, Rob. It's been far, far too long since I saw that man hit the back of the net. It's been good. We've been enjoying the Bundesliga being back as well, which is nice. And obviously the uh, the Premier League coming back imminently as well. So that will be something else to get our teeth stuck into. But for now, yeah, back back to ranking and... If anything, in uh, in isolation, I've been ranking even more than usual. So we are back to business. Let's not let's not uh, dwell on that for too long. And uh, the other end of this uh, Zoom call from that haircut, I can only assume we have a reserve keeper at a mid-table Championship club joining us. Uh, yeah, I've actually signed for Nottingham Forest in the off season. It's been uh, it's been it's been good. I'll be I'll be the sixth choice keeper now for uh, for Forest heading into the new season. No, yeah, yeah, I I, I was getting very hot. Sam, that that, that is a bold trim. That well, is a bold trim. The thing is, I was getting very hot in the sun. Um, we're, we're very lucky that we've got a balcony here. But I was and you're not you're not London. a dog. Well, do you know what? My hair is really thick, and it was like out here. And I just had enough. Uh, but I, I said to my girlfriend, Sarah, I said, look, I don't really want to tinker with it too much because it's really thick. It could really go wrong if we touch the top. So we just uh, shaved the sides and the back. I know some people have said it's it's not symmetrical. It actually is. I just think your um, affection for Joe of Joe and Sam on Race Across the World has reached new heights. And so now you're just trying to emulate his hairdo. Well, I, I do have a bag of Cheetos in the cupboard. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> love those two. Great TV series, that. Now, before we get started, in case we have any new listeners this series, this is how it works on Three Sports Rankers. Two of the three of us will be given a topic by the other to debate. The idea of this show is that the host will construct an ultimate podium of that chosen topic and the two panellists will fight for the points and the placings by pitting their bronze, silver, and gold choices up against each other. Uh, Sam won Series 1 quite convincingly. I can't remember now. It feels like quite a while ago. Not not quite as convincingly as you won Season 2, I think. You you were wrapped up with a couple of episodes All, to go, weren't although, you? Although, despite some Jean Van Der Velt levels of capitulation in the last episode, where I almost threw it all away, just got over the line in Series 2, which means, Callum... By a rule of three. Well, I finished third in season one and second in season two. So, you know, I'm on my way up. Sam's on his way down. Rob, you're finishing second this season. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, just, just before we move on to the, to the finer details of the podcast, we haven't introduced everyone that's on the podcast right now. Well, as an audio medium, this may not be uh, quite as beneficial as, as was hoped as She's very sleepy, but Lola is joining us from the armchair behind me, uh, as you can see if you're uh, watching this in vision at all. Um, and I can confirm that her haircut is better than yours. Uh, but moving on. Uh, ooh, you can take Sarah, that one up. Take Sarah, that, one up Sarah, that was Sarah, very yeah. bit below the belt. Um, 
Well, Callum, what I was going to say was if, if you're if you're on the hunt, if you're on the up, then maybe this slightly new format for the series will suit you. Uh, each of us is going to choose a topic initially, like we always tend to do, and we're going to bring in a slightly new concept for the middle three episodes, which is going to be a, a home and away uh, idea. So each of us will choose a topic that they want to debate with the thinking that that person will be strongest in that field and will choose who to go up against. So, for example, Callum would probably pick an American football topic and go up against me because I know next to nothing about the NFL. So what we're hoping with this like slight change of format for the middle episodes is it'll introduce an idea where one of us should, in theory, take all six points and anything else than that will shake up the will shake up the standings a little bit. Yeah, I can't, I, I can't wait to see um, how Callum messes that one up. I can already <laughs> see that I'm going to be absolutely uh, like whoever's judging it's just going to ruin me. So we'll do three of those, uh, which will bring us to episode seven through nine, where we will bring back the popular listener topic. So if you have anything you want us to discuss, do send them in. Please, please do send them in at Three Sports Rankers on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. And finally, before we kick things off, just want to say a big thank you uh, to our special episode guests, uh, Jay Mosshead from Full Time Devils, David Mooney from The Athletic and Blue Moon, the Anfield Raps, Neil Atkinson and David Downey from The Blue Room. Four new rankers welcomed into the Guild uh, for our Manchester and Merseyside Derby special episodes uh, that have come out in the last uh, couple of weeks. Uh, very, very much appreciate them taking the time uh, to come on the podcast with us. Really good fun. Got plenty of listens to those podcasts, so do head over and check those out uh, if you've got uh, a spare half an hour or so, especially if you're on uh, the red or blue side of Liverpool or Manchester. Uh, right, Sam, Callum. The topic this week, as you found out a couple of days ago to get some prep in, I've chosen to do American Trailblazers uh, for episode one of series three. Now, I chose this because of naturally everything that's happening in America uh, at the moment. Um, Obviously, what's happened to George Floyd is terrible. And it's again raised an issue which is, you know, which became so prevalent in sport, didn't it? A couple of years back with, with Colin Kaepernick and the divisive issue of taking a knee in the NFL we're starting to see more and more athletes from from all different backgrounds speaking out about what they believe in it's incredible to see and although this topic isn't linked intrinsically to the Black Lives Matter movement it did make me think that we've seen so many American athletes in the past whether that be more recently or, or during the civil rights movement or anything like that really make their voices heard so I thought let's do an episode on this Uh, I thought you two would be well-placed to do it as well. So what I'm looking for is American athletes who have instigated change. So trailblazers that have instigated change, and this could be either in their sport or outside their sport. Uh, We've had influential before, haven't we, guys? Iconic. Those topics have come up uh, in the past. There may be a bit of overlap. That's absolutely fine. Um, But yeah, I'll be judging this with change being the key word. So... Callum, let's kick things off with you. Series three, as you're going to uh, romp your way to victory over the next nine episodes. Let's get off to a strong start. Uh, what's your bronze pick? I just want to caveat that with if I do end up winning, this wasn't a fix. Uh, I've won it all <laughs> off the back of my own hard work. And it's all been it's all been fair in this series of three sports rankers. But my bronze pick for greatest American trailblazers may be one that... Um, I mean, I'm almost certain that Sam won't have him in his um, 
in his podium, but um, it's for the way in which he's revolutionised basketball, and in particular the three-point shot. It's Steph Curry. Steph Curry is someone who has changed basketball to the point where opposition teams now need to defend the entire half of the court because Steph Curry is a danger from anywhere. He can drop it in from, obviously, the the three-point line is 23 feet from the basket, but Steph Curry doesn't care about that. He can drop it in from 35 feet if he needs to. He's hit it from over half court at, you know, quarter time, half time, um, buzzer beaters in his career. The NBA three-pointer was introduced in 1979, and it took nearly a decade for teams to average two three-point attempts in a game. Attempts, not even makes. It took a decade for teams to hoik up two shots towards the basket from more than 23 feet in a game. Um, In 1994, the NBA reduced the distance of a three-pointer by a couple of feet because, (laughs) and this is mad in itself, Magic Johnson, Michael Jordan and Larry Bird had uh, retired in the previous three seasons and scoring plummeted because those three (laughs) were no longer in the league. In fact, between 1986 and 1989, those three players accounted for 3.3% of all points scored in the NBA, which is just an astonishing number. But anyway, back to Steph Curry. In the 24 seasons between 1979 and 2003, Steph Curry's 2015-2016 season, he made more three-pointers per game than every single team in the league. So just think about that. In the twenty in the twenty four seasons between seventy nine and two thousand and three, Steph Curry scored more three pointers than any one team in the league. In twenty fifteen twenty sixteen, he scored an average of five three pointers, just over five three pointers a game. But fifty one percent of shots were taken from between zero and two feet and north of twenty three feet. So you're either shooting from right next to the basket or from way downtown to score three. From three feet away, players made 38.4% of their shots. Steph Curry has a career average from three points of 43.5%. He is 6% better, 5% better at shooting from 23 feet than the league is at shooting from two feet away from the basket. He is an absolute phenomenon. I know for a fact he's not yet done with his career. He's second, he's third in three pointers made all time and he's second in career three-point percentage behind uh, his Golden State coach and I just like neither of none of the people above him in either of those tables are anywhere near second or third in the, in the other table it's it's absolutely remarkable how consistent and how often he throws up three-pointers so I think what's most interesting there is although Statman Scotland strikes again. Uh, we've got a lot of impressive numbers there, but almost the thing you said right at the very top is what struck a chord with me is that he's probably, you know, he's obviously considered among the greats the game's ever seen, but it's he, he's not got that physical presence that the likes of like Michael Jordan, for example, have had in the past. Gets all the headlines up near the basket. And, you know, like you said about the three pointers, he's changed his influence on basketball has been a change in the way that opposition teams have to play and defend, isn't it? That's yeah. the key thing here. Yeah, and although key... the stats are like unreal, it's actually the style of play, isn't it? And and could you argue that 
So I heard this mentioned before that the reason in which he can operate in the way he does is because he's got Steve Kerr, the coach who's so laid back and he's got teammates that just allow him to operate in this way. Whereas greats in, in years gone by wouldn't have been able, wouldn't have been offered that kind of flexibility to just shoot from God knows where. Well, I think it's, it's partially that Steve Kerr is a very sort of progressive coach. He, he, is willing to let his team try and do things, but also they just used to trot out five all stars and just go defend this. And if you couldn't defend, if you could defend Steph Curry for a game, chances are you couldn't defend Draymond Green. If you could defend Draymond Green, you probably couldn't defend Kevin Durant. If you could defend Kevin Durant, chances are you wouldn't have a fourth defender good enough to defend Clay Thompson. Like Clay Thompson and Steph Curry have become known as the Splash Brothers because they're both just as good as each other hitting three pointers but Steph Curry does it at a rate which is just unrivaled in basketball and he is you know he's a better a better three-point shooter than anyone else the league has ever seen and the stats reflect that but also you can't just defend him tight from three-point range because he is such a good dribbler that he can just dribble past you and Mm. drive to the rim and score score twos as well so he is he is an all-round fantastic offensive player and I don't think you know it's it, the three-pointer isn't the only string to his bow let's say that right Sam Steph Curry having changed basketball what's your bronze who's going up against him uh I really uh, sort of undernard with this one for for quite a while I was torn between like two or three people but in the end I settled on Jesse Owens obviously American track and field athlete one of the greatest of all time, despite only actually competing in one Olympics. But the uh, the splash he made at that Olympics was probably a bigger splash than any human being has ever made at any Olympics in history. I mean, 1936 Olympics in Berlin, Jesse Owens went over, won the 100 metres, won the 200 metres, won the long jump, won the 4 by 100 metre relay. Just imagining that happening nowadays... Is, is I mean, Usain Bolt has obviously won the 100, 200, 4 by 100 meter relay, and I'm sure he'd give the long jump a good go. That was just remarkable at the time, but it was most remarkable at the time because obviously of the context it was in. It was in Berlin in 1936, in the midst of Nazi Germany. And why it was most important was because it, it challenged Adolf Hitler's views about the Aryan race and, and his belief that Blonde hair, blue eyes was the, the, the dominant race, the dominant uh, sort of species, as it were. And Jesse Owens came on and just shattered that myth completely, came over and, and won everything right in, in, uh, in Hitler's backyard, effectively. But what was perhaps equally as sad was the fact that he didn't actually receive any real recognition from back in America either. The president at the time was uh, Franklin Roosevelt, Never congratulated him, never invited him to the White House, uh, never got in sort of contact with him at all, which was was common. And, you know, it is still common up to that, up to this day. Um, there was other little things as well. In When he went over to Berlin, he met a man called Adi Dassler, who founded Adidas. Uh, and he uh, actually became... Great story, this. I love this. He, he, he became the first African-American athlete in history to receive a sponsorship deal because at the Berlin Olympics, he ran in a pair of Adidas trainers. And I had no idea that Adidas was founded by a man called Adi Dassler. That's great on its own. But I just, I just find Jesse Owens' story just fascinating. And he, he, he comes across 
as an incredibly humble man. And he, he, he was very much of the opinion of, you know, my words don't do the talking because I let my feet do the talking for me. And I think that it, it just sent such a powerful message at the time. And yes, yeah, so Jesse Owens is my, uh, is my, is my bronze medal choice. What's interesting me quite a lot about this is I think from the outset, you'd look at Jesse Owens and think absolutely incredibly iconic game changing athlete, like for, for the most incredible reasons and for the bravery and the stoicism and the way in which he, he did what he did. I wonder whether in a kind of really cruelly perverse way, he made like one of the biggest statements we've ever seen in sport, but at the time, and it's so it's more just such a cruel reflection of, of that period of history, whether it did actually have that much change. And I'm be, and I'll fully admit, I'll be saying that from a, a slightly naive point of view, because I wouldn't be integrated enough in those societies and communities to really know. I'm sure it inspired thousands, if not millions, but the world was a very different place in, in 36. Yeah, I mean, it, I, I think, as you say, Rob, probably at perhaps a grassroots on the ground level, it certainly mm. would have had a, a, a small cultural impact, which kind of would have grown over the following years. But it's worth adding as well that the 36 Olympics was the first televised sporting tournament, I believe. It's the first sort of major televised sporting tournament. So it would have had way more eyes on it than any Olympics had before, which is also important. But as you said, Rob, if you look at what happened to him when he came back, he lost his funding. He was removed as an amateur, which meant he couldn't, he couldn't race again after 1936. Uh, he ended up working as a janitor, as a gas station attendant, you know, variety of jobs like that before eventually he was invited to join Ford Motors as an assistant personnel director. But he didn't, he didn't have an easy life afterwards. He ended up filing for bankruptcy in 1966. He was charged for tax evasion. Um, and it, it was really his legacy becomes more important over time than perhaps, as you said, Rob, perhaps like immediate change in the, in the then and now. I mean, long term, he's been given the Presidential Medal of Freedom, Living Legend Award, Congressional Gold Medal, um, US Olympic Hall of Fame. He was in the inaugural class. He was on the six-man sport list for sports personalities, athlete of the century. Like, I think you're probably right that his legacy now is is obviously incredible. Whether he made the change in the short term, I'm not sure, but he certainly became an inspiration and is still an inspiration to this day for what he did. Um, and it's 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 quite telling that his his life story really is one of hardship and struggle almost from start to finish, despite mm. the, the incredible career, you know, short career, but the incredible career that he had. I'm already realising that I'm going to have quite the headache choosing these. I mean, how do you put such a, like an actual on-court game-changing athlete like Steph Curry up against one of the greatest game-changers of all time in Jesse Owens? I'm going to need a minute on that. So let's move on. Uh, Silver, Callum, go. Once again, it's someone who changed the game on the field as opposed to off the field uh, necessarily from me. And this time it's in American football. It's a man called Don Coriel who uh, revolutionised the passing game in, the, in American football. He was a coach whose offensive philosophy became known as Air Coriel because for the first time when he became head coach of the San Diego Chargers, 
they led the league in passing yards from 1978 to 1983 and again in 1985, as well as leading the league in total offense in each of those years. And in 1979, they became the first AFC West champion to run more pass plays than running plays. So before Don Coriel came along, it was very much, um, there's a cliche in American football, which is three yards and a cloud of dust, which insinuates that you just hand the ball off to the running back, pick up three yards because there's just a massive load of bodies creating a big plume of dust. You get three yards, you keep getting three yards and you keep going down the field until you score a touchdown. What Don Coriel did was say, hold on, we've got three yards to attack, but beyond that, we've got 70-odd yards of field that we can use. And if we can force the defence to defend that part of the field as well, then it's going to be even easier for us to pick up these yards in the short term as well. So, Callum, I don't mean to put a stopper in because I know you've got, you'll have plenty more to say, but I just want to clarify this for an NFL noob like myself. Mm-hmm. Um, so, essentially, Coriel changed... American football from essentially a rugby style sport, albeit, you know, three yard passes forwards to, uh, you know, what we classically know as the iconic moments of the quarterback long pass over the top. Yeah. So it went from, it went from sort of three yard rushes and, you know, passing it if you have to, to, you know, let's run it. And then if that doesn't work, we'll try a long pass. And then if that doesn't work, we've got an intermediate or medium range pass that we can try. And it just, it it became this sort of deep downfield threat, which no one had really seen before in the NFL. And he built a whole offense around it. And the offense that he created, the immediate team that he had around him, three of them became Hall of Famers from that offense. And it was all to do with the fact that they had a quarterback with a strong arm who could throw the ball down the field. They had fast wide receivers who could catch the ball deep down the field. And then they had probably what we would class as the first modern day tight end in Kellen Winslow, who was big enough to, you know, overpower small defensive backs, but fast enough to keep up with them. And therefore faster than bigger linebackers who could cover him for size, but couldn't cover him for speed. So he was a sort of a mismatch nightmare and ended up going into the Hall of Fame because of his skill set. And to a greater or lesser extent, more or less every team in the league now runs a variation of what was previously the Air Coriel offense. Sam, in a weird way, I'm going to ask you this question because I feel like you're somewhere between my American football knowledge and Callum's, which is like way off screen. Um, <laughs> why have I never heard of him? Um, to be completely honest, I've... I'd never heard his full name. I'd heard of him in terms of what Callum described the Air Coriel off, uh, offense. But it's interesting. I'm quite, almost quite pleased you brought this up because when you were talking about Steph Curry with your bronze, I don't know basketball particularly well. And it was interesting hearing you talking about the development of the three point um, over time. And I was making the comparison in my head between how the NFL moved from a run to a passing offense. And I was sort of making that comparison. You're absolutely right in that I have to admit, I didn't know he was the the man that sort of really made that transition. But it's exactly like Callum said, nowadays, all good offenses are built around passing. And that and that's the, the aim for everyone is get a good quarterback in who can pass, get good wide receivers. There's a, there's a real trend at the moment for real fast wide receivers. The deep ball is making a, a real sort of, sur- having a real surge and having a real moment. But it's interesting. I mean, I've learned something here today as well. I, I didn't know that it was it was this man that 
that founded this change. And it is a massive, massive change for for the NFL and probably for the NFL's entire product. I think it definitely makes it more interesting. As as you said there, Rob, the, the iconic moments that we recognize, which is the quarterback throwing the ball. You don't really remember a player sort of darting around in between defenders. It's the it's the the big throws and the deep balls and those amazing catches that I think have really sort of captured the imagination of, of NFL fans around the world. There's a trend with your picks, Callum. You've kept true to the topic. You asked for game changers, mate. I've given yeah. you game changers. Ah, uh, Sam, who's going up against this one? Because Callum's been, he's really zeroed in on the topic and you've kind of opened the net slightly wider, but I'm, I want to, I'm wondering whether I'm going to have to think about how I want this entire podium to look potentially over pitting a, one against the other, which is obviously the natural way of doing things. But I'm padding here because I've got no idea how to make this decision. Try and make it a bit easier for me, will you? Well, I, my next line was literally going to be, well, I'm not going to make it any easier for you. Um, my <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> like, like you say, Callum's gone for a trend. I've gone for a trend as well. And it is uh, mine's more for off-field impacts. And my silver choice is Jackie Robinson. Yeah. Uh, first African-American to, to play... Major League Baseball, breaking what was known at the time as the baseball color line when he uh, he started at first base for the Brooklyn Dodgers on April 15, 1947. So it wasn't until 1947 that any African-American was allowed to play in Major League Baseball. And, and that's because at the time, any that had come through had been relegated to what's called the Negro Leagues. So not only did he sort of shatter this barrier, but he was awesome on the pitch as well he won rookie of the year that first year he was there he was an all-star every single year from 1949 to 1954 played in six world series but it was his shattering of that color line that that just opened the doors for african-americans all across the country and 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 i think he's you know kind of widely considered one of the the most important people in American sports history for what he's done now, because, you know, for all the, and then, you know, there's a lot of very, very bad things happening in America at the moment. And the black lives matter movement is incredibly important, but the one thing people don't seem to bat their eyelids at too much is African-American people playing sports and participating in sports. That's one thing that's not really questioned. I mean, 70% of the NFL is made up of, uh, black African-American players. Like that's, that is one thing that's not questioned. It's, you know, issues higher up, which need to be addressed. But in baseball, especially this all starts because of Jackie Robinson. Um, and his career extends beyond baseball as well. He became the first black television analyst for the MLB. He became the first black vice president of a major American corporation, which I found really interesting. He wasn't just an incredible baseball player, but he also broke barriers in business, uh, in broadcasting as well. He was a trailblazer both during his career, after his career as well, into different walks of life. Um, and it's interesting. I found it very interesting. He was inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame in 1962, and that's before any sort of civil rights bills has passed in America as well. I just thought that was really interesting and, and, and shows the the impact that he made. And I think my my favourite thing that's happened you know, posthumously is 1997 MLB retiring the number 42 in his honour, but not just at the Dodgers, at every single major league team 
that's the first time that had ever happened to any athlete. You know, he, he for me is, is the, well, clearly the second most, uh, <laughs> second biggest trailblazer in, in American sporting history. But I just think he's such an important person and can't not be mentioned in this episode. You two are going to make me look really bad here today. <laughs> well, Rob, I'm going to take one decision out of your hands straight away and just tell you that Jackie Robinson is my gold. I needed something like this. Some historians, everything that Sam said was absolutely bang on. You know, the number 42 has been retired. Um, you know, he was a he was an amateur star in track and field, American football and basketball. He was specifically chosen to be the first player to break the color barrier in baseball by the general manager of the Dodgers. And when he was asked to break the color barrier and was told that he wanted to, Robinson reportedly, when he was asked about not responding when being on the end of racial abuse, Robinson reportedly said, are you looking for a Negro who's afraid to fight back? And the general manager said to him, no, I'm looking for someone with guts enough not to fight back. So Jackie Robinson on the field was absolutely the personification of that. He received no end of racial abuse while he was on the field from opposition fans and players alike. And he was, you know, he was man enough to not respond to any of it and just play his game and go out yeah. and do it. And every time he walked onto the field, he did it and played the game the way it's meant to be played. And retiring number 42 is something that no, I'm pretty sure no other American league has done that and retired one number in honour of every, in, in honour of one player um, at every single club. They, they still do it to, on April the 15th every year. It's Jackie Robinson Day to commemorate the day that he broke the colour barrier. And on that day, every single player in the league wears number 42, not just not just one player per team. Every single person in the league wears number 42. There are a few baseball historians who consider that his debut in 1947 was kind of a crowning moment for the civil rights movement in America because this was 16 years before Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech. And, you know, for a black player to break the colour barrier in what was then baseball's national pastime, you know, it's something that, more or less every American would have had eyes on, even at that time. And it became, you know, it was such a massive thing at the time and it still is seen as a massive thing now. And that's why Jackie Robinson is my first place in this episode. He could, he couldn't be any other position than first place for me. I mean, you, you've both done a stellar job at telling the story and justifying the place, the story of Jackie Robinson and, and what he did for the sport as Callum outlined there taking the high ground and and just rising above the abuse to be such a trailblazer and then as what Sam kind of rightly pointed out and he's probably forgotten is is how much of an impact he made throughout the world of sports so through media and through business and everything like that so I was worrying about looking a little bit bad uh, Sam who's taking it for you then um, looks like Jackie Robinson's finding his way on this podium at some point so there were, there were two names that immediately I knew were making the list. Jackie Robinson was one, um, and the other one was Billie Jean King. Not necessarily a massive surprise that I've gone for a tennis answer, but I, I still think she is the most important trailblazer. Not just American, I think she's the most important trailblazer in sports history, uh, in my eyes. I mean, we can focus on what she did on the court. 39 Grand Slam titles across singles, doubles and mix, seven Fed Cups, 
former world number one. I mean, she's in the conversation for one of the greatest tennis players of all time, but that's not at all really why I want to talk about her today. Um, I, or iconic sports people, you could argue. Or iconic sports people, exactly. Um, I know, I, I, yeah, I'm well aware I've mentioned her before, Rob, but she is important enough uh, that she can fit in this category as well. You're looking very stressed out about this whole situation, Rob. Just thinking it's about... a moral conundrum. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, in terms of gender equality in sport, tennis has, and it, and it, it is far from perfect, but it has been seen as the front runner um, in terms of major sports for a long time now. And that is almost exclusively down to the work of Billie Jean King. Now, she helped form what we now know as the WTA with eight other women back in the early 70s after she basically refused to continue playing and be paid less than men. She won the US Open in 1972 but earned 15,000 US dollars less than Elia Nastasi, who was the men's winner. And she basically turned around and said, you know, thank you for inviting me and for the tournament, but I'm not coming back next year unless uh, unless the pay is equal. The next year, the pay was equal at the US Open. It became the first major to offer equal prize money. Um, so they, she so broke away. They set up this new WTA tour, nine players who would kind of tour around and they had to do all the self-promotion themselves. They were there in the day, sort of in the morning, handing out posters in whatever city they were in, saying, come and watch us play tennis in the afternoon. And then in the afternoon, they were going um, and they were playing, you know, these 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 tennis tournaments on the new tour. Very cash-strapped. There wasn't a lot of uh, of money for them at the start, but they just kept battling and they kept fighting. Um, in 1973, she became the president of this new WTA. Um, but all, th- you know, throughout the whole time, she faced backlash. And I think that sort of culminated in one of the most important moments for, for women's sport, which was the battle of the sexes. I don't know if you guys saw the, the, the film about this a couple of years ago with Emma Stone. Uh, very good. Very, very good film. They, they really did it justice. And I know that Billie Jean, she loved the film. I know she's now very good friends with Emma Stone. They went to was it the Oscars. I think Emma Stone invited her to the Oscars as a special guest. I can't, it was either the Oscars or... or something like that. Um, but yeah, so the, the battle of the sexes, people who don't know was she took on uh, a, a player called Bobby Riggs, a male player, a, a chauvinist pig. I don't think he'll, uh, he'll mind me describing him as that. Cause I think he pretty sure he described himself as that. Um, but he basically was a, a, a former world number one who said, I, I at 55 could be any women's player on the tour right now. And, and he did, he beat Margaret court. 6-1, I believe, so dismantled her. Um, and then Billie Jean King said, you know, I, I have to I have to end this. I have to end this because if I don't end this, this will rumble on for another 50 years and women will never be taken seriously. And the Battle of the Sexes was watched by 50 million people, allegedly, in the US and about 90 million people around the world. And she won in three straight sets. That match is, is, is largely considered the pivotal moment for women's sport in terms of it garnering respect that, you know, sadly it just didn't have before that. What I find most interesting about the battle of the sexes thing is that up until the moment it happened, it was a massive gimmick. Yes. But actually watching it unfold is what changed people's minds. I think because Bobby Ricks was this, uh, it was just a, a, a loud mouth man who thought that the world sort of belonged to him. And he, he was a big joker. And exactly like you said, it, it was a gimmick until it happened. And I, I'm not sure, 
you know, that many sports fans at the time probably believe that Billie Jean King could genuinely win that match. And, and not only did she win, she won it in, in unbelievable style. But in terms of her impact as well, it, it goes even further. She was the first prominent professional female athlete to come out as gay. And since then has been a, a very vocal pioneer for equality, social justice, uh, gender rights from you know the 1970s right up to present day. She's still heavily involved in all of these things now. And it's it's little surprise the awards that she's sort of received over the years that she was the she was the Sports Illustrated Sportsman of the Year in 1972, first ever woman to receive that. Tennis Hall of Fame, California Hall of Fame, uh, Life Magazine named her one of the most, one of the 100 most important Americans of the 20th century. Not American sports people, just Americans, period. Um, again, like the, the other two I've mentioned, she's had the Presidential Medal of Freedom. Um, that was from Barack Obama, and that was for her work advocating the rights of the LGBTQ plus community. Um, and she's also the first American female and only the second American to have given Sports Personality of the Year Lifetime Achievement Award. I, I just think, and I think obviously for me, you know, a, a lot of it comes back to tennis is is my sport and always has been my sport. But, but I think she has been such an inspiration for me for most of my life for what she did for tennis and for so much outside of tennis and, and for women in sport that I, I couldn't not have her as my goals. What I was actually naturally going to do there was, was hand it to Callum and, and tell him to convince me why Jackie Robinson should, should pit Billie Jean King to the goal. But actually, I'm not going to do that because I think it's a complete toss-up and they're two incredible athletes, they're two incredible people. And I think it would be a bit a bit kind of pointless. So I think when we come to this decision making, I'm just going to kind of make it as plain as I can and say I want both of them on the podium. And for that reason, and for no other reason, really, Billie Jean King's going to take the gold. And Jackie Robinson is going to take the silver. And I'm sorry, that's just the that's just the way it's fallen. And we've been here before Callum's thinking, well, how many times has this got to happen to me on three sports Just give rankers, him the bronze but... as well and get it done with, Rob. Well, actually, that's not what I'm going to do. So You don't have to give me I'm sympathy gonna... points, mate, because Jesse it's... Owens is a great answer. It's not sympathy points, actually, because, again, you, I, I could easily give this to Jesse Owens and would quite rightly have a fantastically brilliant podium. But actually, what I'm going to do is I think it's only right that we have someone on this podium who has literally changed the sport. And you had that with your silver choice, undoubtedly. I think if Sam had gone up against Coriel with a similar kind of pick, um, you would have probably taken silver as well. But I think it's only right in a in a topic like this, and it's no it's passing no judgment on on Jesse Owen's situation because there is an incredibly important person, uh, let alone a sports person who changed attitudes, inspired countless people in and outside of sport, uh, black athletes, black people in general. But I think it, it's only right actually on a podium like this to, to find someone who you did, Callum, and quite rightly, who has changed a sport. And also not just let's say back in the day when when we know sport in general was evolving and developing but sort of like a modern sports person 
And I think that's probably what's made me think that Steph Curry certainly deserves this place. So from bronze upwards, uh, it's one point to Callum for Steph Curry. Uh, Jackie Robinson takes silver, could easily have taken gold. Um, but because I think Billie Jean King deserves a place on this podium, you know, she she's cut through sport, hasn't she? She's transcended sport. She's had an impact on society as well as um, tennis, as well as sport in general, as well as being a hell of a player. And I don't think you can ask much more uh, from the gold choice on, on the podium of American Trailblazers. So uh, it's one point to Callum and it's five to Sam to kick off Series 3. Sorry, Callum. I've got a bit of a hill to climb already, haven't I? So it makes it makes your season win even more heroic that it starts with a with a with a. With there a you go. Of... Once again, one point from Rob. Are we surprised? Oh, guys, you made it so <laughs> difficult for gonna... me, though. And I like part of me. I don't know why. I think I was just kind of getting caught up in the whole narrative of it. I kind of thought, of course, Sam's going to go for Billy Jean King. Because you know I... as soon as he said Jackie Robinson was his silver, I know exactly who he's got yeah. gold, and I've got because... no chance here. I'll tell you right now, when you said Jackie Robinson's my gold, I thought, right, that's Callum getting three points for the gold straight away. Because I I wanted it as high as I could possibly get it. But I also can't not put Billie Jean King on this yeah, podium. And no, I tell it's, you... a, it's a fair shout because, you know, Billie Jean King's done just as much for women's sport and LGBT, you know, inclusivity in sport as Jackie Robinson did for African-Americans in baseball. So it's... It's a massive toss-up, and the hardest way to have done that would have been if I'd put Billy Jean King in second. Yeah, and then <laughs> you'd have, been, yeah. <laughs> then you'd have been really screwed. Guys, that was a great episode, and um, right at the end there, the podium came together. But up until that point, flipping hell, I had no idea. Yeah, you were you were sweating after the bronzes, weren't you? You were you were you had your head in your hands, and it, it wasn't looking good. I mean, I it, really was. It's very easy for me to say because I picked up five points, but. The, the points almost don't matter in an episode like this. I think just nah. it, it, it's it's such an important episode. Especially nice given if it, they didn't. Given, yeah. I mean, especially given everything that's happening at the moment, I think it's just such an important episode to to look back and to acknowledge some of some of sport's greatest trailblazers. And I, you know, I'm I'm sure in a few years' time, someone like Colin Kaepernick would have made this list, and and he he was certainly in consideration for me. I just sort of. Felt it felt it had to be had to be mentioned and and yeah I'm I'm really glad we opened the series with this episode. Absolutely right. Um, thank you very much for listening to series three episode one of Three Sports Rankers. Uh, Sam took it as he just mentioned there five points to one uh, as we go into episode two, um, which will be hosted by Sam, me. I believe. It is me. Yes. What what are we going for for uh, episode two? Well, Callum mentioned at the start something he's very excited about is the uh, the return of the, the Premier League next week. Uh, so I am asking you two to please give me your sporting podium for the best active Premier League players. The only real caveat for that is they have to currently be playing in the Premier League. And that's it. What are our thoughts, So it's guys? not to do with what they've done in their career? Nope, just who you think are the best active Premier League players. So, starting at starting a team today, who are the first three players we'd want in our team? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, 
you know, we're going to bring all the stats and the performances and the records to the table, but really it's just what Callum and I think, isn't it? Ultimately, yeah. I mean, I, I thought I'd, I'd try and uh, find a common ground for the two of you. And I think the Premier League, it doesn't get more common than uh, than the Premier League. And, uh, you know, you will have had these conversations with friends in the pub at work, you know, oh, this is the best player in the Premier League. He's the best player. He's overrated. He's underrated. And, and now's your time to, to share them against each other. And we'll see who comes out on top. I wouldn't be surprised if we get a couple of the same names, but... I'm not necessarily sure in the same order. Uh, don't don't worry about that, Sam. I'm I'm not going to pick Declan Rice. I was just about to say it was going to be a massive Declan Rice loving from me next week. <laughs> Cal- Callum uh, guaranteeing he doesn't win season three by picking Declan Rice. Future England captain Declan Rice. Put it in the books. Well, as I said at the start of this episode, let's not ponder on that too much, um, <laughs> guys. It's been to great be to fair, be back. You'll also be getting no Joel Linton from me, so. Yeah, I mean, nowhere, not even near the conversation. In fact, if we could do worst, maybe, maybe we could come back to that. But anyway, it's been it's been great to see uh, so many new listeners jump on board recently. If that is the case, uh, and you like what you hear, um, or if you're just one of our, our loyal listeners, can I ask you to take thirty seconds to leave us a review? We push this every series. We're not going to stop now. But if you were able to do that for us, it would make a massive difference. Tell your friends as well, because the old-fashioned ways are often the best. Uh, look out for news clips on our social media accounts on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook as well, three sports rankers. And let us know your American trailblazer podiums. A lot of you, no doubt, will think that I got it wrong. Tell me so and give me yours uh, on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook, three sports rankers. Uh, but until next time, thank you very much for listening. This has been the Series 3 opener of three sports rankers. It's been a great one. Really, really enjoyed it. Great to be back. And we'll be back with you next week uh, with episode two. Bye.